when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. What's good, Internet? Welcome back to Waypoint Radio. I'm Austin Walker, and I'm joined by a special guest for today's bonus episode, uh, Ben Maku. I did it wrong. Maku. Is that right? You got it right. Fuck, okay. It's the silent CH. It just it blows everyone's mind. It totally blows my mind. It's because it's, it's Polish. It's, I, I, okay. I don't even speak Polish, but that's I'm told that's how I'm supposed told to say it properly. You're told that's Maku. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you are, of course, the national security reporter for Vice, and you're currently hosting a podcast called Cyber for mm-hmm. Motherboard, which you can find on any major podcast host. I'm, I'm guessing that's how podcasts yeah, all, tend to work. You put them there. in a box and yeah. then that box just gets spat out to a bunch of other boxes. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's how the internet works. People yes. in twos, et cetera, no, boxes. That's yeah. the Austin Walker <laughs> method for thinking about it. Welcome to the show. Thanks Thank for you. coming on. We're going to do a little, a little talk, a little interview, and then I think toss the episode, the first episode on mm-hmm. so that people can listen to that and then they can go subscribe to it if they want to hear more awesome. about it. What is cyber? Pitch me, pitch me the, the show. So basically this came out of the fact that you know, Motherboard has this stable of amazing hacker reporters like Lorenzo and Joseph Cox, and they do some of the most, I mean, kind of mind-boggling reporting on this this space that has obviously become a massively influential thing. Yeah. Especially since you look at something like the DNC hack, yeah. or I always say the Sony hack. Yeah. You know, it took a James Franco stoner comedy to make people <laughs> give a shit about. about hacking. Yeah. But it happened, and and we have some of the best reporters who are doing this stuff. And how do you capitalize and bring cyber or cybersecurity? Okay. I don't want to say dumb it down, but simplify it so that people can understand exactly what the fuck it actually means and how it affects the world and your world and your consumer goods. And our first episode's on simjacking, which is which is the most cyberpunk term. Yeah, honestly. it is. It's oh, like it totally out of, is. it's wild because it's the mo- it's the term that reminds me the most of eighties era hacking. Like, yeah, like it's hackers, like, like hackers, or like or like sneakers, sneakers. before that, oh, right? Yeah. Like yeah. very much like phone freaking. Yeah, sim jacking is really the evolution of phone freaking, as it far is. as I'm concerned. And it's kind of like honestly, it's it works very similar because a lot of social engineering yeah. to it. Yeah, which I think is like very much old school hacking. But I think the the crazy thing about uh, sim jacking is that. It's something that combines that social engineering with like, oh, shit, I can't use my phone. My bank account is locked. Right. And I now have to pay some creepy hacker a Bitcoin to get my shit back. And that's that's a really like it's a very much a mixture of these two worlds. And I would say also, I, you know, I'm a reporter in cybersecurity. I have been for years. Yeah. I do more national security. But um, this is something that happens quite often. You know, hacking quite often is something that combines human weakness with technological advancement. Right. Well, and I think part of the thing that makes these stories interesting to me and motherboards reporting on hacking in general interesting to me, or, or maybe it's even just the concept of trying to report this stuff out, is one, a lot of this stuff happens at such a large inhuman scale. Like you look at the Sony hack, you look at the um, the leak of uh, the social security numbers last year. Um, that stuff happens at such a broad scale that it's hard to talk about it in a human sense because it's just like, oh, 150 million you know, uh, uh, social security numbers um, got got released via was the Equifax or was Equifax, it the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it wasn't a hack really. That was just like was it an actual hack or was it just yeah, it was uh, a hack. Okay, um, and so like things like that 
happen at the scale that's hard to comprehend in, in, in a personal sense. And then so you hear a story like the simjacking story that, that's told in the first episode of Cyber, and this is a very personal story. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, this is a person who talks to another individual person, the hacker, the simjacker in that, in that story. And something is contextualized in this very important way. Um, a very not an important way, but in a, in a very personal way, in a way that I, as a reader and a listener, can understand uh, and comprehend in terms of my personal life. I'm curious for you, as someone who tells stories like this and who works with people like Lorenzo, who who reported out that story on simjacking, is there anything? Is there a struggle to kind of hit that that balance between the personal story and then like the big picture threat of uh, oh, yeah. cyber warfare? Because you don't want to lose the the, the big picture stuff I mean, by telling one, this personal story. One hundred percent. I I mean, I did a show for two and a half seasons for Viceland called Cyber War. And that was always kind of the the complete challenge of yeah. reporting these stories. It's that you want to keep people interested, but you also want to be able to explain the severity of the a geopolitical hack and okay. why that's important to your world. And this is a difficult thing. And I think a big part of it, for me anyways, and it's also, you know, I've done a lot of reporting on terrorism, for mm-hmm. example, on terrorists, people in ISIS, people in Al-Qaeda. Right. And, you know, I think a, a big part about that type of reporting is to show that, Quite often, terrorists are also people, right. and hackers in the hacking world, they're people. Right. They're people with motivations. They're people that use things that then influence larger things. And I think it's delineating that kind of space is how you tell sort of the personal to also the the bigger picture of you know, for example, Guccifer two point mm-hmm. who was basically just a bunch of Russian spies. Right. One of the funny stories I remember reporting on was that this you know this this automaton of a hacker started DMing some weird conservative blogger slash conspiracy theorist yeah. who then spilled more information on it. And, you know, we went, instead of just reporting on that, we like talked to this weird dude. Right. And he told us how that happened and what that was like for him to kind of engage in this extremely intense geopolitical event. Yeah. And it was this dude, just this guy in Florida, right. you know? And I think that that's, you can find those things. I think that's how, that's how you, you make people realize that, Cybersecurity in your phone and your computer and the internet, which is now humankind, yeah. it's affected by this daily, by this minute, by the second. Yeah, and also by like very mundane things like yes. DMs on Twitter, yes. like like you know whether or not you have two-factor authentication on your phone, mm-hmm. which can be – I mean this is one of the things that comes out of the simjacking story is like obviously we all talk about two-factor as being the be-all, end-all of, of personal security, of privacy – uh, online, but actually, in this one case, it ends up being a, a real weak point, right? It yeah. ends up being a place in which someone who is really good at social engineering and who has the right set of information can get access to uh, not just your phone, but then a million other things because your phone is connected to so many other things. Mm-hmm. It ends up being a, a kind of a weak point to, to target. Um, and I think that ends up being one of the most fascinating things for me in in a lot of motherboards coverage in general, but especially for this this first story, is this idea that like there is no silver bullet for cybersecurity and. We, there's no, I mean, this is maybe a, b- a bigger thing, right? Yeah. There, there is no silver bullet. There no, is no such thing, period, as a silver bullet for any problem we face as humankind. Yeah. But for whatever reason, I think inside of the computing space and inside of the national security space also, we publicly are desperate for one. We want the thing that's like, well, I've just followed this, this, this set of best practices and I'm good to go. And that's not the case. No, it's not. And I think part of this is driven by capitalism in the sense that you have these cybersecurity companies that hawk the be-all mm-hmm. and end-all tool. That if you sign up with us and you give us your money, yeah. your shit is so safe. Don't worry. And I always say that that's such – it's so ridiculous because, you know, being somebody who's reported in this kind of space for a long time, you know, my one takeaway always is you you can never stop hackers 
especially right. a nation state. If they want to get your shit, they're going to get it. The only thing you can do is slow them down. So what is like let's, – let's talk – one of the things we've been doing here this year has been thinking about remaking – the world in our space, right? We, we report on games. A lot of our, one of our biggest beats is labor, mm-hmm. um, the, the way that the games industry is built on the back of, of uh, exploitation and crunch and all these other things that like the, fun- the, the industry doesn't function without those things currently. Like mm-hmm. it, is, it is assumed that that happens. And so one of the projects we've had uh, throughout our work this year is trying to radically reimagine what that world could look like. What would a different version of the world of games look like in which exploitation wasn't a given, in which crunch time wasn't a given? How would that change? So I'm curious for you, like, what does – what's the radically – what's your utopian vision for cybersecurity or for the internet, you know, in two minutes? Elevator pitch. I know it's a, it's a big oh, picture, man. but, like, what should we be dreaming of? What should we be fighting for? What are the fights that, that are worth having because successfully doing that as activists or as citizens could actually make us not just safer and more secure but more fulfilled, more – you know, release uh, release the internet to us in a sense. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know what? I don't have a huge manifesto but my number one thing that I always say mm-hmm. is that we have to stop thinking that this is something completely special and right. sci-fi. I think that that's such a ridiculous concept. Mm-hmm. We still are shocked by hacks. We're still shocked by cybersecurity and how the internet works. Whoa. Right. Can you believe that that happened? You're like – yeah, yeah, dog. It yeah, yeah, man. That's the fucking internet. That's what we've had for years. Yeah. How are we still shocked by the speed and connectivity of the world? What and makes I, you? Th- why do you think we are shocked? Because by it I think this is a way that our culture interprets it. I think that our culture still sees it as this thing that is spectacular. You know, you look at something like I used to say the the, the Snowden hacks were mm-hmm. massively important in allowing people to understand just how far the Big Brother state really went. I think there were people thought about it, talked about it, but like nobody actually was like, you know what? This is a reality. Right. And even then, you know, I think one of the best interviews that was done with Edward Snowden, uh, even in comparison to all the quote unquote journalistic interviews, was the John Oliver interview. Mm -hmm. And like one of the things John Oliver said to him was like, look, stop talking so pedantically and so about internet surveillance and human rights, you got to start hitting people with the personal aspect of this. And then, you know, cuts to like John Oliver on the street talking to an American guy. And he's just like, the government's got your dick pics. And that's when the guy's like, whoa, <laughs> step too far, my guy. Like, what? There's the line right There's there. There's the line. And you're like, you want my social security number? You yeah, want to know what I bought yeah, from Amazon? My dick sure. pics. Like, but I don't not. want anybody seeing my dick. And then you're like, well, yes, they've got it. Anybody can get it. It's very easy. Yeah. And that was what brought it home. But I think, up until then, this sort of spectacular element wasn't really there. It wasn't like it's so, you know, beneficial to have an awareness of what's going on. And I think a big part of that also, and I've said this at, at a lot of conferences, and it's been well received, is this, this is about the school system, man. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm from Canada, and our school system's, you know, not perfect, but it's amazing compared to America yeah. and the way that they, Americans treat the public school system. Right, right. But – how you teach kids to understand cybersecurity, the internet, I think this is like, it should be almost as important as math class. Like, you have to be able to learn this stuff and know the pitfalls and the the dangers and to know that, you know, this is not just part of your life. This is this is your life. The next generation, uh, you and I, we, we, we learn the internet. Mm-hmm. This generation grew up right, on the internet. Right. They were raised by the internet. Yeah. There they is no, to, there is no separation there. There's I think, no separation. I think it can be hard for people in our generation and older to get past that binary of like online, offline, of 
understanding the difference, like believing that there was a major difference in speech act versus online, like text act or, or even online speech act, right? Um, and for the generation that's coming up under us, like that is just where they've always lived. That's where they've always moved. And in some senses, there is, I, I often see in people in our generation, a sort of hope, or maybe it is a disinterest in doing the work ourselves of like, well, that generation will figure it out. They grew up on it. They'll figure out like what ethics should look like on the internet. But I think we're seeing again and again that like actually for a lot of reasons, that is where lots of problems arise, right? Like there's, there, there is not a great ethics class for 17-year-olds on the internet. And that's led to some really fucked up things, right? Like that has led to everything ranging from harassment and doxing and death threats and swatting to things like simjacking or, or, or you know, being brought into the fold of white supremacy groups or mm-hmm. a million other things. And like it's it, – here's – I guess the, the, the thing I'd say is like it's hard to imagine what that education looks like because it's as much about being an educated person in the world. Like mm-hmm. that's – that is – math class or computer science adjacent, but it is also philosophy adjacent. It is also just like, you know, uh, your civics class, right? Yeah. And so you, you would end up needing something that rewrites all of that programming or all of that, you know, that looks at those syllabi and says like, okay, wait, how does this actually relate to being a 15-year-old in 2018 where a lot of the things you're doing are on Snapchat or mm-hmm. are on Twitter or, or, or on TikTok, right? Like, yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess like it's how, like everything you do is online, right? 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 Totally. It's everything from my experience. It's like it's like the conversation that people generally have, you know, this, where they're like, "Can you believe that the online dating and it's kind of like a ridiculous way to meet somebody and blah blah blah?" And it's like, well, no, that's that's real life now. Yeah, yeah. That's not or, going back in the bottle. It's right? not going like, back in the bottle, and also that's real life. This is because we live out of our apps now. You have to know that. Mm-hmm. You know what else happens on the internet? Terrorism. Right. And everyone said to me when I've reported on that, it's like, whoa, can you believe ISIS has Twitter accounts? Like, no, not dog. I actually can't. I've seen them. I've been watching them. Real bona fide terrorists are on Instagram and Snapchat. Why wouldn't and they And Facebook. Point, Why wouldn't right? they? That's what they use as a median. Is that you- a situation where you feel when you see things like that or you see things like white supremacist recruiting – that's a space where you suspect or not suspect where you think that there should be better regulation either either from governments or from the companies themselves. The companies themselves, I think the biggest problem is that, you know, and it's also kind of a, a good thing within our society that we can use the internet kind of un, unhinged, right? We can use it for multiple multiple ways and use multiple chat applications, et cetera. So I think, you know, these bigger social media networks, they really should be held accountable. The reality is terrorists who are on the internet, and I've seen both, you know, jihadist terrorist organizations and, you know, white power supremacist terrorist organizations operate very similarly. Mm-hmm. They're going to find the applications to chat on right. and, and to organize. I think the, the big thing then is law enforcement has to be good about finding them, and they have historically been poor at it. And I think that's a big <laughs> issue. Right. And in some cases are, are actively... Uh, underfunding the yeah. groups that would target certain types of, of terrorist Absolutely. groups, right? You know, I've I've seen, I, I saw it with ISIS. Right. Uh, I was communicating quite often with a series of militants who were in Al Qaeda, who were in ISIS, who were in Nusra, and they were all on Kick Messenger app, <laughs> and that's how I found I found them from Twitter. It's like them and nineteen year olds yeah. trying to find hookups, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, it's wild. It yeah. is wild, and I think it was funny. I remember I had sources in law enforcement because I got served in Canada. And I'm in court right now with the Canadian government. And I remember I, I've gotten from sources since saying, yeah, they did that because they were pissed off that they you found it. Some punk ass reporter from Vice found this and they didn't and they got chewed out for it. Right. And to me, I mean, that's ridiculous from the police perspective, but whatever. Not here nor there. The bigger thing is these guys are boomers. 
Right. They believe that if you're going to be a bona fide terrorist, you have to be Bin Laden with a camo jacket in a, in a home videotape threatening in America. Right. It's not Twitter, Kick Messenger. Right. And that's the internet now. So then, again, so my question there is like, in what way is Kick responsible for that? In the same way, in what way is Twitter responsible for, for keeping that stuff safe? Because, because on one hand, you're right. I think you're totally right to say terrorists and, and you know, threats in general, all of the stuff that we like are frustrated by and scared of in the world – those people will find ways to communicate with each other. I have always been someone who believes like when I think about a utopian vision for the future, I think about processes. I think about not something, not a world in stasis, like not a world where there is no violence and a world where there is no no racism. Mm-hmm. I believe 100 percent that we will continue to find ways to other each other and continue to threaten each other. And what we need are processes of, of criticality and engagement and rehabilitation and, and oh, yeah. equitability, blah, 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 blah. Those are about processes, not about we're going to freeze the, the world. So on one hand, I think that like you're right. They're going to continually – will always be places to talk about doing violence to groups of people. That's mm-hmm. going to continue to happen as long as we have the internet. And as long as, as, we long have, as human beings As exist. long as we have doors, right? <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know what I mean, right? People will find side rooms. Yeah. But I also want there to be some degree of accountability for companies like Twitter to prevent recruitment, right? Where mm-hmm. it is it is easy to talk about like, okay, this is a space where like Twitter's rules around, for instance, death threats, um, which are often applied uh, in, in an asymmetrical fashion mm-hmm. in ways that are ineffable and, and impossible mm-hmm. to understand. Or if you want to understand them, it's only in the least generous way possible for, for them. Um, but but even if they were applying those rules efficiently and correctly around like not allowing death threats, not allowing like the organization of acts of violence, these are still places where young people, especially young men, especially young white men, are recruited into, into not just young white white men, right? If we're talking about globally, right? We're talking about young men in general. Are on today International Men's Day when we're recording this? It's International Men's Day. It's International There's Men's an Day. International Dude, Men's Day. You see something funny? This is like extremely my shit. It's extremely funny, and I, I'll explain in a second. It is both International Men's Day and World Toilet Day. World Toilet Day is a real thing. It's important. Sanitation is important. But I think it's ironic that it is the same day as also, International who, Men's Day. Who made it International Men's Day? What kind of bullshit is that? Isn't every day International Men's Day in this this universe? Toxic masculinity is terrible. Destroy the gender binary 100%, but also fuck off, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, you really need a fucking day? (laughs) We do. We do. And and we don't. Well, I want to be clear. (laughs) What we need is the destruction of the patriarchy. Yeah. But I don't think International Men's Day is actually built for that. I just want to know who's celebrating that. I, you know, this, the people we're talking about, the people who right now are grouping up on Reddit and then going to talk on Kick. But, but I'm like, is this like a day that the UN knows exists and everyone's just like, shit, it's international. Men's Fuck, I didn't, Fuck. I didn't, I didn't write my International Men's Day speech. Yeah, for class like, do we just like do that thing like last year? We just like say something, but like, <laughs> put the press release out, make it like, make the press conference at like 4:30 a.m. in the morning. That we know it comes through. Yeah, and like. I don't work. know. Like, I'm, I'm shit talking it. I have no idea who. Who apparently it started in 1992. Wow. So it's been around. Well, I'm not gonna celebrate that day. <laughs> we are. Well, we're celebrating right now by talking about how do <laughs> we're not celebrating. But what we are doing. My question for you really is like, how do you, if you cannot prevent people from going into that private room, from going into whatever the today's yeah. whatever today's app is, whether that's Kick or or whatever the the next uh, WhatsApp it was for a while, whatever it is, how do you go to? How do you? stop that earlier at the point of recruitment, at the point of radicalization? Is that a thing worth trying to hold these companies accountable for? Oh, I mean, I think if you spot it and find it, I think these companies should 100% be actively figuring out what's going on there, especially when it comes to recruitment. And But a lot of times it's planning. There's all sorts uh-huh. of shit that goes down on those spaces. I mean, again, like, I mean, besides the universal truth that as long as human beings continue to exist, period, 
we're going to find reasons to violently attack each other physically, you know, mentally. We're we're a violent race and it'll never change. I mean, that's something mm-hmm. my reporting is only certified in my mind. <laughs> and that's not to say let's try to stop this and let's yeah, try yeah, yeah. let's let's figure out what's going on. Let's try to prevent these issues. But I think when it comes to online, it's incredibly difficult to do because you're always going to get say the gab to a Twitter. Right. That's going to pop up and say free speech and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I thought it was a totally absurd argument from Gab to say we stand Can you set up what Gab is for people who maybe haven't sure, heard Sure. So yet. Gab is essentially white power neo-Nazi Twitter. Right. L- that's basically that's like my the, best way of putting yeah. it. They put, it hide, the, put it on the box. Yeah. They hide behind the thin veneer of like, you know, lots of people use it. And, uh, you know, we're an, we're an open free speech environment. And you're like, motherfucker, I've seen gas, K-word, gas. Right. Black N-word, people, yeah, 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 everything. Well, like, the is, your, your logo is a frog. We yeah, see you. It's it is, not that it is hard. The, it, is, it is absurd. It is. I've been on that. I've, I've, I'm currently doing an investigation into a variety of white power terrorist groups. They're all on it. Right. You know, that's what it is. Now, can you stop Gab with the laws of the United States? Probably not. Probably not. Probably right. not. So... Do you want to change the laws so that it's if you find something? I mean, this is where the this, this, this is where it gets argument. extra tricky. Right? We don't have to. We don't have to even talk about this. We don't even have to talk about. Do we want to change the laws here? Because we can look internationally and see ways in which uh, resistance groups and groups who you and I sitting in this room were like, yeah, fuck yeah, like this is a point at which violence is necessary in order to overthrow yes. an oppressive and tyrannical regime, and we want to be able to support those people being able to organize and blah blah blah, like. Those are things we; those are protections we want there to be in place. We do want there to be back backdoor, uh, you know, uh, conversations and or back channel conversations. We do want there to be places where people can organize. Like forget about even violence. We do want there to be places where people can organize uh, in their workplaces. We mm-hmm. want there to be. We don't want a, a, a complete surveillance state, even though we know we live in one. Yeah. We at the very least, I think, want there to be limits on where that surveillance is pointed, or we we want to live in a world in which we can say, well. At the very least, you and I can come talk in a room and figure out yeah, how to but do that, X, Y, Z thing. But – go ahead. But, yeah. but that's where it's incumbent on the companies to do something. And these are private companies. Right. So to me, it's like when people say, well, we don't want Twitter to control the internet. And you're kind of like, yeah, they don't. Right. They control Twitter. They control Twitter. There's nothing stopping them. There There's is nothing not... stopping You come to my house and you do some shit. I can I kick, kick your ass out. Yeah. I'm going to do that. Yeah. I pay the rent. My rules around here. Yeah. And I don't – that's why I don't have a problem with those companies doing it. And – you know, and it's also within the rights of some of these completely, you know, disgusting humans to create some other space where they can spread their hate-filled garbage. Right. right. But then, you know, if they get shut down for other reasons, I think it's like do. good. Yeah. You totally. know. So then, I guess let's let's wrap back around to the question of of security. You know, I, I guess one we use the word cyber. There's like a there's a little bit of a joke in there, right? <laughs> because like. This is this is the, the cyber. cyber the yeah. word Trump used on the it's on like the CSI show. cyber. hundred. Have you watched that show? No, I please seen, watch I've seen, that I've show. Seen pic, I've seen like little like snippets, and I'm like, oh my ugh, god, I please wanna... watch it. It will, it will kill you, but yeah, in like a way that thumbtacks. It's fantastic. It's beautiful television. It gets nothing right in the best possible way. <laughs> um, uh, but when we talk about it, like obviously half of it. We, we just already spoke like cyber terrorism is a thing. Cybersecurity is a thing. Just like living on the, on the on the internet is a thing. But like going back to this question of security and and private corporations and stuff, wait, is there a point at which, right now, we have this fundamental reality, which is the internet is built around a handful of the the internet by which I mean the places we spend time on the internet are built around a handful of sites 
we're, we're really talking about Facebook and Google, Facebook and Google and sites that either use that, their APIs to hook in for login, um, mm-hmm. use their ser- use Google servers, use Amazon make servers, make money off of it, make money off of it, mm-hmm. use AdWord, use like all you know affiliate linking. Like there is a there is a backbone to such a big part of what how the internet functions. Those are owned by private companies. Um, they are deeply fallible, as any as any human endeavor is, uh, and also, as you just said, in some senses, they're private kingdoms because they're they're privately owned. They can do whatever the fuck they want. Is there a way for us to think about? And because of that, any security fault there ends up being massive yep. because we're talking about hundreds of millions of people who are using these services, billions of people, like the ninety million people that were hacked in the Facebook hack recently. It was like last Ridiculous. month or something, right? Yeah. Like we didn't even—it's a blip. It's also a blip in the yeah. news, right? Like we've already moved on past yeah. it, right? Uh, however many Facebook stories come out a well, day because Facebook's, you know, uh, finance financing uh, some uh, deeply anti-Semitic. They sure are. Yeah. Companies that are spreading George Soros uh, propaganda. That's, you know. It's anti-George Soros. Or, so or, I've hated to be clear, Facebook you're not saying years. they're spreading George Soros's propaganda. No, no. They're, they're spreading yes. anti-Semitic An- yes. propaganda, propaganda about, about George Soros. Yes. Yeah, 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 that yeah. is very akin to the stuff that Nazis used to say about the Rothschilds. Right. It's um, almost parallel. But we don't think about Facebook as a publisher. We don't think about Facebook as a place that's that's responsible for anything that goes on that platform. Mm-hmm. We think of it as a platform the way that we think about the street as a platform. Yeah. Um, is it time to rethink that stuff yes. both across privacy and against speech? Yes. I think the idea of breaking that company apart is probably the best thing we should be thinking about doing because right now it's op- it's operating on a an absurd monopolistic level that I think really is starting to creep in, not just into like, let's just say you're free market capitalist yeah. and you're into competition right. and making money and whatever. Yeah. How, no one listening to that. Is, a couple people listening to yeah, this. Exactly. That, but, but how yeah. is Facebook fulfilling that? Right. And then if you look at the other spectrum, Facebook is a despotic overlord. <laughs> right. It is the worst possible version. It of, is the worst of, possible of, version of all these things. Yeah, of, yeah. So however you slice it, Facebook is a dangerous entity, I think, at this point. I mean- Look at what they did. That is which, I, which, the story which from one? last week yeah, okay. that the New York Times published about how they were hiring. On the one hand, they were saying, we're sorry. Yeah. We're figuring out the but election literally, thing. They're literally trying to suppress that information. And they're financing these these insanely It's like the definable the name of the group again. Yeah, insanely anti-Semitic PR firms. Yeah, the, the definers to, was the to, name yeah, of the group. To spread yeah. fear-mongering. Around the people that are are going after who are Facebook. literally criticizing who are literally right. criticizing right. Like them. If you went at Facebook, if you were one of those people who went at Facebook around the hacks and and around uh, kind of their culpability in in a number of issues, you may have been targeted by this group that like dresses itself up as like a public affairs opposition research group, but yeah. is actually like literally a, a company that is a propaganda company, effectively. Yes, that is that is. Or or I mean, you you know, you look at there was a story over the weekend that came out that was just about. This is like fucking depressing story that was the it was in the Washington Post. Uh, it was about this dude who runs like a satire Facebook page that like puts up a bunch of fake right wing bullshit because he is like this liberal who pats himself on the back. This like center left dude who's like, look at how dumb all these right wingers are. They'll believe anything. They'll look at this picture of Condoleezza Rice uh, and um, um, uh, Hope Hicks and say that that's and if I say that that's uh, Chelsea Clinton and Michelle Obama giving Trump the finger, people will believe it. And like because this guy wants clicks and is happy to lie on Facebook for that, even though he he thinks he's doing the satire program, that stuff ends up filtering out throughout kind of right-wing 
you know, boomer plus yeah. groups and being like, oh, this all this shit actually happened. Actually, Sharia law has been voted into into effect in oh California. God, yeah. And there's like this totally it's just like an abdication of any responsibility for anything that goes on that platform. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard to see that stuff. And I think it can be really hard to think about what a solution to that looks like because it feels just like, well, you can't shut, pe- shut people up because we've, on one hand, accepted the reality. In some senses, we've accepted the reality that there is no distinction between us sitting at a table and talking and us, you know, uh, IMing each other or whatever. But on the other hand, we've also, we've also come to believe that, like, the world of online, the world of Facebook, the world of Google just is what it is and we have no access to it. And none of that stuff can be touched or changed except voluntarily from inside. And it's just very frustrating. That's it all. is. And I think it, but that's what I'm saying. I think now there, there has to be a similar, I think it, it probably is likely going to happen unless Facebook being, you know, the monolithic overlord that I think it is, is going to manipulate some stuff within the government to make it not happen. But, you know, I, I, I do, har- I'm harping on this funding of uh, anti-Semitic mm-hmm. propaganda surrounding George Soros because I'm online in these white power sites right. investigating these people, and I know how important the surge of anti-Semitism is right now among the militant far right. right. So people are picking up guns and going to kill people yeah. like those like we just, like we just, just saw in Pittsburgh. Yeah, totally. And that stuff is being promoted by the types of companies that, that Facebook interacted with. Right. And on the one hand, that's not. There's no steps between. There's this no steps. This isn't and that a is, Kevin Bacon situation. There's like yeah, literally yeah, one step away. One step away. That yeah. is absolutely stunning to me that that's not more of a deal, because I don't think we understand just how much of a problem far right terrorism is nowadays, especially under this context of of Trump normalizing some of these yeah. these these, these um, sets of thinking. And then tweeting about it, and then you know, I you want to make everyone tired of this conversation, but you know what I mean. I know what you mean. We do, we do, we do. Yeah. Uh, give me a little tease of other stories, maybe coming this season, or maybe the, whatever the next one is. That on cyber, can, on cyber, yeah. That way we can we can bring it back to cyber and close out on like For something sure. where we're not just like you know clawing at our own faces in terror at the world. Just right watching now. the American Empire go yeah. down, my uh-huh. man. <laughs> you know, like there are ways that they could do that that I'd be happy with. Yeah, and there are ways in which I think a lot and a lot, a lot of people will suffer. And I mean, it's yeah. gonna happen no matter what. The the American Empire, as it stands, is built on the backs of people suffering. Uh, so it's it's one of those like it's not a zero sum game. But like there, there are ways at which the outcome at the end is one that is beneficial for a lot of people in the world. I'd like to see that one. Yeah, more rather than, the than one just that's like we're all citizens of Facebook in ten years and yep. are, you know, Jesus, all I hadn't even thought spending. of that. That's horrifying. Oh yeah, dog. Let's let's go. We're gonna get we're gonna oh. get to corporate sovereignty in our lifetimes. Oh god, gonna, I don't want that. Why should laws that apply here apply on Facebook uh, headquarters? I don't campus? even like. I don't even like this conversation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, listen, go read the go read the shit that happens to Disney employees on their campuses. Like, you basically sign over the right to sue Disney for anything if you work on Disney campus. Um, that's another one. Like, dude, it's like, that's, it's like that South Park episode I've not with seen the Jonas this. Brothers. And like Mickey Mouse owns them. Listen, that's and then go. Mickey Mouse basically just sort of erodes into Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse being this, this like, this demonic force that beats up the Jonas Brothers and runs corporate America I, with an iron. Listen, fist. we are absolutely. And I'm like, man, always fear the mouse. Always fear the mouse. <laughs> Big companies are gonna. It's we're going in that direction. We really, truly are. And so it's like a combination of that stuff with yeah. It's going to be a messy century. Yeah, it is going to be a messy century. But coming up next coming week up on, on Cyber, Cyber right? yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we've got a really interesting uh, episode coming up on uh, just this really bizarre space of 
Nintendo piracy. Oh, awesome. And hackers that are actually really good and a- attack each other and dox each other. And it's really petty. And it's, it's you know, phobic in all the ways you think the gaming community can is. be. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of a weird one because you sort of see this bizarre little simulated geopolitical war happening. But it's between hackers of video games. Nintendo huh. video games of all. And it's, so it's a really interesting one. It's with Joseph Cox, who does a lot of crazy mm-hmm. stuff on, on, on spies. Oh, right. I said it was his, it was his vacation from spy reporting. And he's like, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was very, very, very good. He's British. He's British. British. I'm making fun here. of his accent. That's so. rude. Honestly, totally he does rude. a nice pod. He helps you yeah. with the podcast. What do you, yeah, come yeah, on. I know. He's nice gonna, he'll laugh at it. It's so <laughs> um, All right. Well, but, people can check that out. Obviously, you just do a search for cyber. Yeah. One word. Just cyber. It's just, just cyber. That's yeah, it. Cyber. Cyber everything. Cyber, cyber everything. Mark. Who could say? Uh, where can people find you on the internet? I'm on Twitter. Okay. At... Great. What a great site. What a great site. <laughs> uh, oh, it sucks. Yeah. All of our jobs. I mean, we are I mean, if you're a journalist, you're fucked you're because on, you yeah. have to be there. I would not be here without Twitter. It sucks. Yeah. No one would know who the fuck I am. No, no. one reading my fucking Tumblr posts it's tw- six exactly. years ago. Are you kidding me? You, you my, like the Come holdout on. on MySpace? <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, uh, I'm sorry. How's MySpace doing? Who bought them? I'm, no. Remember... I remember Justin Timberlake bought it. And he happen? thought he was going to like change. Yeah, this is like years ago. And then after that, I think that's the last I heard of it. Damn. But I was, I was, I found my, my, uh, my girlfriend was telling me, she's like, I think my, my space is somewhere. And there's a lot of funny pictures of me being like a, a teenager. I wonder if it's still there. It's still there. Huh. And she was like, how do I get it down? I haven't even touched it. And I don't even know what the password is anymore. I'm like, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's a do? lot out there. That's the other thing. Yeah. Right? Like that, we, will, we don't have the time to get into that, but like this is the first generation that will have grown up on the internet and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Justin Timberlake jointly purchased it with uh, Specific Media Group. Great. Mwah, what a good name. Specific Media Group. Which one? A specific one. Yeah. Um, for $35 million in, uh, that was in Bet you that one's paying off. They sold it in 2016 to Time, Time Inc. For then, what? That's not listed here. So Bro, was 50 is. bucks and a bag of pucks. That's what I'd say. I'm from Canada. Yeah, wow. That was the most yeah. Canadian shit I've heard in yeah. a long time. 50 bucks and a bag of pucks. Time. Sometimes people say, you know, just a can just, of Coors and, yeah, right, and a, right, kick, in, a right. kick in the face. God. Man, MySpace was, was apparently valued at $12 billion at one point. What? Yeah. <sighs> should have sold that shit. That's when you should have gotten rid of it. Should have right gotten then. out of that. Uh, anyway. Uh, Made it like a band. Where can people find you on Twitter? What is your, what is your, your handle? Maku. At B Maku. Spell Maku for people M-A-K-U-C-H. like me. M A K U C H. M A K U C H. Perfect. M A Yeah. B M A. I'm thinking about. I think that's right. That yeah, sounds I think right. I got that it right. right. As always, you can find everything we do here at Twitter. Our uh, waypoint. Secretly, I've been working for Twitter this whole time. <laughs> Biggest heel turn in history. Yeah. <laughs> like it was me all along. Uh, at twitter.com slash waypoint, waypoint.vice.com, facebook.com slash waypointvice. Uh, and as always, you can find me on, on Twitter at twitter.com slash Austin underscore Walker. Listen, I'm also on uh, Mastodon. I mean, we're all on like Instagram. I'm on Instagram. I'm on everything. Find me on Mastodon at content.town. Slash Austin underscore Walker. If you if you're over there, what else you on? You on like Steam I'm and all on, that? I'm on, I'm like, we're on a game site. Of course, we're on Steam. Come yeah. on, I'm not doing anything on Steam. I didn't even know what Steam was until I was investigating some uh, neo-Nazi terrorists. Yeah, uh huh. That's how Steam does. Yeah, I actually Valve. Get no, but for real, together. I actually I know. I believe I, you. I literally found the guy. Like I connected his online activities through his oh, Steam man, account. And I was like, this is 2018. It is. This Listen, is 2018. You got to play Counter Strike and also yeah, uh, you know, and actually join up with the neo-Nazi group. That's the thing. There's there's definitely Call of Duty players who I've spoken to who fought for ISIS and there was also 
members of neo-Nazi terrorist groups that play Call of Duty. I know that. You know, oh, my I've God. I've independently spoken to both of these <sighs> groups. And they're like, yeah, Call of Duty, why not? Why not? And I'm like, good time. You, would you know? That, I wonder if they ever play each other. They or have like, to have. They or have like, to are have. cool with each other online for yeah, a second. Yeah, they have, they have to be, right? Like, And also, the ISIS guy I spoke to who was a big Call of Duty fan, he was like, dude, I played as the American soldiers all the time. They had sick weapons. Sick. I love it. I love to be online in 2018. <laughs> I love to be in the world in 2018. It's a horrible place. <laughs> it is a it is a wild place. Which I, which I think like the final step for me is just to come back to this notion of like it is all people. Like that is like the oh. thing you hit before of just like no one is just this uh, like amorphous blob. Like ISIS is made of people. White supremacy groups are made of people. Which one? It can be really depressing because it's it's a reminder that like yeah this the people who are deeply interested in hurting as many other people as possible often of uh, various, often in this kind of generalized uh, group-based, identity-based harm, um, are people who like had birthdays and like who like have parents and like have like a favorite meal and are all these things that we have uh-huh. in our own lives in the same way. Like no one is like a walking zombie death machine. Like everyone has preferences. Well, um, but it's also hopeful in a sense, right? Because like if we built this shit, if people built this shit, if people made the world what it is. We have a capacity to affect it. Like nothing is out of reach for us. We can keep going. You know? No, because the thing is, is that the guy who's a neo-Nazi terrorist online is a neo-Nazi terrorist online, right? Right. But you and I are not neo-Nazi terrorists online. No. There's thousands and millions of people who aren't, right? Yeah. So it's it's you're you're not. We're talking about clusters of people, and it's. I think that we have to start thinking about the internet and the internet world not as like not the real world. That is the real world. Right. All right. Well, on that note, Ben, thank you for coming through. Uh, hopefully, we can have you on later. Again, you can find Cyber on any pod catcher. Is that what they call them? Any pod catcher. Any pod catcher. Catch the pod. Catch the pod. We'll leave it. Catch the pod. Peace. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f- are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Uploading the virus. Eagle one, the package is being delivered. I'm Ben Maku, national security reporter with Vice, and this is Cyber, a podcast from Motherboard about hacking. Welcome to our very first episode. A new 60 Minutes report reveals it may be much easier to hack into a personal cell phone than you might think. So hacking, hackers, the cyber, cyber war the internets. This stuff gets complicated really fast, so it's no wonder a lot of people don't know what it is or how it all works. But on this episode, we're going to break down a type of hacking that could affect anyone. No, this isn't Sony getting owned or somebody selling NSA hacking tools. It's less talked about, smaller scale, more personal. This is about your phone. 
Imagine if you woke up to this phone call. Yeah, I want three bitcoins, three full bitcoins, and I'm gonna leave you alone. But wh why would you do something like this? Because I can. Because that's how we make money these days. Okay, I don't have any I bitcoins. You had like, I don't know, like two grand in Ripple or something on Binance. You're gonna get, you're gonna get me three bitcoins. I don't have any bitcoins. Yeah, well, get me like 18k in some other currency. I don't give a shit. Ethereum, I don't know. Whatever, man. Whatever suit, whatever floats your boat, you know. Yeah. Um. I don't even know how I would do that or why. Why are you doing this? This guy, he calls himself Sebastian. He's doing something called simjacking. And the other voice in the phone, the guy getting hacked, he sent us this recording because something really unexpected happens. So for this story, I wanted to talk to Motherboard's Lorenzo Franceschi Bicurai, superstar cybersecurity reporter, about his and reporter Joseph Cox's story. All right, so Lorenzo, this phone call freaked me out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it would freak me out too. But more importantly, I was confused by it. How exactly does this work, simjacking? So simjacking, or also called sim swapping or port out scam, all these terms are the same. Simjacking essentially is when a hacker decides to steal your phone number for whatever reason. And the way they do it is that they call your cell phone provider, let's say T-Mobile, AT&T, Verizon, whatever, and they pretend to be you. So they call them and say, hey, I'm Ben. I need my phone number because maybe they, they invent some story that they lost their phone or whatever, and they need their phone number reactivated. Once they do that, what happens on your side as a victim is that you lose your phone service. So your phone becomes phone calls. You cannot receive text messages. That's the only warning you receive. Sometimes you get a text message saying, uh, you know, hey, this is T-Mobile, thank you for calling us, uh, we transferred your phone number, and, you know, usually the way victims have described it to me is that they freak out because they're like, wait a second, I did not call T-Mobile, you know, what is going on? I cannot make calls, my phone is dead, what's going on? And in the background, what's happening is that the hackers are using your phone number to reset all your accounts or to try to hack into all the accounts they can. So usually what they do go for first is your email because your email gives them the keys to other services. Think of your bank. Probably you have a, your bank account registered to your email. Uh, if you have a cryptocurrency account, it's probably registered to your email. Even um, airplane miles are probably registered to your emails. You know, all these things that are linked to your email, they can get into at that point. So basically that call, wow, incredibly unsettling. It's when the hack is going poorly. Yeah, and in fact, if you get that call, it's almost good news because then you have some amount of control. Because if everything goes according to plan, which most of the times, unfortunately, it does, you're not going to know what's going on. All you're going to see is that your phone lost service and, uh, you know, you might not even be alarmed because maybe you're on a hike and you're like, oh, well, there's just no service here. But in the meantime, some 19-year-old idiot is, you know, stealing your money. So what exactly can you do to protect yourself against this type of hack? So here's the bad news. Uh, there's very little you can do, unfortunately. And that's because the hackers are attacking 
phone companies. They're attacking you, but through your telecom provider, your cell phone provider. There's a few things you can do. They're not silver bullets. One of the things you can do is add um, a passcode to your cell phone account. Uh, this is like separate from the password that you use to access like your online bills. It's only a password that will you will use when you call, you know, your T-Mobile, your AT&T or whatever phone provider you use. And that's going to be basically used to verify that it's really you. So the idea there is that if I'm trying to hack you and I'm trying to pretend I'm you calling the phone company, uh, I have to provide this code. So that's a great idea that in theory should work. Uh, but in practice, I heard uh, several stories of people that got hacked uh, via SIM jacking and they had this code and essentially the hackers just went around it. So that's one thing. The other thing is, you know, in theory, two-factor authentication should be great because, you know, it's not just your password. There's also the second code. But actually, and here's the real twist that surprised me when I started working on this story, two-factor authentication in this case could actually hurt you. So two-factor authentication, all that stuff that everyone in the cyber community tells you is sort of this bulletproof way of making sure you don't get hacked, that doesn't actually work. Two-factor is good as long as you're not using your phone number because that's that's the key, right? If the hackers get control of your phone number, then they don't even need your password. Like, it basically becomes one factor and they control it. Because the way two-factor works most of the time is that once you give, uh, let's say, Google, right? If you are using two-factor on Gmail, you give Google your phone number and that's not only used to deliver, you know, these uh, codes that you use for logging in, it's also used for resetting your account. So let's say that one day you hit your head on the on the wall and you forget your password. Uh, you can go to Google and say, hey, I forgot my password. And what Google will do is send you a reset link on your phone. So if I take control of your phone number, I don't even need your password. So the way to make two-factor work in this case is to eliminate your phone number from all your accounts or use a phone number that's not a real phone number, as in it's not a phone number provided by a company, like a telecom company. So you can use a Google Voice number, a Skype number, uh, any other kind of uh, voice over IP number, because those numbers are not going to be as easy to hijack as a regular phone number. So wait, walk me through it. If a hacker is trying to do this or a SIM jacker, how do they come across getting the number? Is it just finding out what the number is and then and then getting information from the dark web? Like, how do you get it? Yeah, I think the best way to understand how these attacks work is just, you know, run through it. Let's pretend that I'm a criminal and I'm trying to hack you for whatever reason. Maybe I know that you have a lot of Bitcoin. So I choose to target you. Uh, the next trick is to find out your phone number which in some cases is maybe hard, in some cases may not be very hard. You know, like white pages, you could use white pages, you could use, I don't know, any kind of other online um, um, service like that. And once I have your phone number, I just need to figure out what provider you have, which is also relatively easy. I think you can just Google the number and a bunch of websites will tell you what the provider is. So at that point, I'm calling your provider and I'm pretending to be you. And I'm saying, hey, I'm Ben, I lost my phone, I lost my SIM card, whatever I use, you know, I can invent whatever story uh, is going to be more credible, essentially. At that point, I tell the, you know, the customer service um, specialist, I tell them, I need you to transfer my number to this new SIM card they already bought. I have a new SIM card here, I have a new phone, I just need to, what they call, port out my old number to this new SIM card. 
this is where it depends on who you're talking to, what company you're talking to, etc. But in theory, they should try to verify that it's really you, right? Because I'm not Ben, I'm Lorenzo. So maybe they can ask me, uh, okay, Ben, what's your social security number? And, you know, unfortunately, that's in theory, that should be secret. But we know that it's not like social security numbers get sold uh, on the dark web for relatively cheap. You know, T-Mobile lost 50 million of them a couple of years ago. Uh, Equifax lost 150 million of them uh, last year. So it's like at this point, we should probably consider social security numbers as you know, semi-public. But they'll ask those questions like, what was the name of your first pet or Yeah, whatever. sometimes, yeah. Unfortunately, sometimes they don't even ask for a social security number. Sometimes the question is, what was your last uh, home address? Which, again, in theory should be secret, but it's probably on some of these websites. Like Which is pages. total bullshit because you can totally, like, type in somebody's name and find, like, yeah. past addresses. Yeah, this is the real weakness in this whole hack. Like, cell phone providers are really not doing an anything to stop this. I mean, that's a little unfair. They are trying to stop this, obviously. But the way they verify your identity through a phone call is totally not enough. And that's where the criminals come in, because all they need to do is essentially call up T-Mobile, say, I'm Ben, give me this number, give me my number, which is not my number, it's your number. And T-Mobile gives it to them. And at that point, it's game over. So what did the guy in the phone call, your source, what did he do? Because, I mean, I'm no cyber security expert, and I'd imagine a lot of people aren't. How do you prevent this? I mean, what did he do? Yeah, in this case, this is a, a very interesting case because, you know, as I was explaining before, like, the interaction usually is between the criminal and, you know, the AT&T or Verizon person. In this case, and what's interesting about this case is that the hacker went directly to the victim. Normally, the interaction is between the hacker or criminal and the cell phone provider's, uh, you know, customer support uh, person. In this case, the hacker called the victim and essentially tried to extort him. And the victim tried to talk him out of it. This is how you make money? Why don't we, why don't we talk this through? Why don't I help you? You seem like you, I mean, you seem like you can use some help. Help with what? I mean, with, like, figuring out how to, like, make a living, like, without fucking people over. I mean, I feel like, I feel sympathy for you. Yeah, well, why don't you tell me what, why are you in a situation where you need this money so badly? Because I did some things that I truly regret about a year ago, and I've been, I've been stuck in it for longer than, than a few months now, so. Okay, that's okay. People make mistakes, I understand, and, um, and there's no judgment there. Um, can you be a little bit more specific with the types of mistakes that you've made and when what you got yourself into? Well, let's just say I maybe screwed the wrong guy over. And uh, basically, I got, I got thrown in the mud. And I really just need his money right now. You know, as somebody who's been in the situation, I had somebody, I've had somebody mentor me and help me. And I would like to be able to give that back to you. And listen, you threatening me and making me send you Ripple to be able to pay someone else back, it, that's going to be a very temporary fix. Who knows what's next? Your mindset is wrong. You're just trying to get to the next step. You're not thinking long term. You're not thinking about the Sebastian who you want to be one day. I don't know who you want to be one day. I don't know anything about you. I don't know if you have a family. I don't know if you have parents. I don't know anything about you. But you're, you're not thinking about the Sebastian who wants to create the life for himself 
that is is what you were going to want in your future. You're not thinking about that. You're just thinking about how do I get $3,000 or $10,000, whatever it is, to get myself out of this situation and get by for the next six months. Am I right? Yeah, I guess you might be right. So basically what the guy did was he engaged his humanity, the hacker's humanity, something you don't see very often. Yeah, and that's um, that's something that worked in this case, I think, because some of the people doing these kind of attacks are usually very young, at least in, you know, the people that we've been able to identify. We're talking about, like, teenagers or early 20s. Um, you know, I, I know this is going to sound a little bit like a stereotype, but these guys are really, like... Like a guy in a hoodie in his parents' basement. Yeah, it's really, like... Just scamming people. Yeah, like, you know, the people that have been identified and arrested so far in this sort of attacks are all... I think the oldest one that we know of was, like, 26 or 27. I think there was a guy that was 30-something. But then it was, like, uh, one 19-year-old, one 21-year-old... You know, essentially people that have either just left high school and or just gotten into college. So these are all essentially young men not having fully developed frontal cortexes. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I mean, it, as much as it sounds like a stereotype of the hacker, it really is like that. It's like young people, they're gamers sometimes. They're very obsess- obsessive gamers. These guys are young, uh, male, bored. You know, like if maybe... If it's the summer, they don't have that much to do because they're out of school. So, yeah, it's really like young people with not that much to do. And uh, some they have some skills, obviously, because they know how to trick people into doing what they want. So they're social engineers. So in this particular case, though, this guy doesn't seem so much bored as he does desperate. I think what happened here is that the criminal went through the usual protocol, quote-unquote, for this kind of attack and basically uh, ran into a wall. And he realized that the only chance to get what he wanted was to actually extort it out of the victim. I think it was kind of a Hail Mary. He just went for it and hoped that he could, like, convince the victim to give him what he wanted. And he ended up getting talked out of it. <laughs> Can you give me an apology? Yeah, well... I'm not really good at those, but uh, I mean, I'm sincerely sorry for the trouble I caused you, and uh, I wish it wouldn't have ended this way. Well, I respect that, and uh, yeah, man, I, I hope I, you know, I think that you got potential, man. Just gotta go down the right path, and um, let's go to sleep and touch base tomorrow. All right. All right, man, Sebastian. I appreciate you being a stand-up human being. And, uh, yeah, thank you. All right. Well, good night, buddy. Good night. Good morning. Yeah. All right. All right, bye. In a way, these are really targeted attacks, obviously, because they the hackers are going for specific people. What types of people are they targeting exactly? It could be anyone but only in the sense that to become a target or a victim, you need to be someone that has something that they want. So what is it these hackers actually want specifically? Is it Bitcoin? Why are they doing this? It depends. Sometimes, uh, obviously, Bitcoin is very appealing because it's essentially money, especially, you know, last year when it was, like, worth so much. Other times, they attack you because they know they have a bank account, so they want to get money. Other times, it's more unusual or something that you wouldn't have thought about. 
So sometimes they target you because you have an interesting social media handle. And by interesting social media handle, I mean something that is short or something that spells out a common name like rainbow or sex or video games or something like that. The reason why that's interesting is that there's a sort of a gray market online for these social media handles. So if I steal your, you know, at sex or at rainbow um, handle. Or rainbow sex. Yeah, rainbow sex. I can um, then sell it for relatively a lot of money on this weird community called OG users. And when I say relatively a lot of money, I'm not talking about, you know, millions of dollars, but it can be like uh, 100, 200, maybe 1,000, 2,000. I don't know how much of this is a legend and how much of this is truth because it's really hard to verify. But I heard of stories of like handles being sold for $20,000, $30,000. And, you know, again, let's remember, these are like really young people. That's a lot of money for a college student. So is it rare for you to see these types of hackers being sympathetic? Yes, because, you know, when you think about criminals, sometimes you think about the stereotype, you know, it's like ruthless and, you know, you're thinking about the bad guys that will do whatever it takes to get what they want. And obviously in this case, you know, we're still talking about criminals, but, you know, they're human and again, they're young. So I think some of them just don't realize what they're doing in a way. Like I'm not trying to justify them, but I think that the interesting thing here is that some of them don't think that what they're doing is a crime and they don't think that there's a victim. Essentially, they just want something and they think they're somehow entitled to it and they don't think they're doing anything wrong. So it's kind of like a game. Like you're saying a lot of them are gamers. Yeah, exactly. I think they do see it as a game and that's probably why they also do it in groups. They do it in groups because in a typical attack, it's good to have a few people because I've heard stories of like... mm, Attacks where someone was, uh, let's say, one gang member was uh, trying to um, find personal information about the victim. Another one was calling the, um, you know, his cell phone provider. And another one maybe was handling the actual, like, a SIM card. So not only it's like a division of uh, skills and labor, I guess, but it's also probably like a little bit of a game. You know, these are maybe guys that play Fortnite together. And then when they got bored of playing Fortnite... They play this other game, which is stealing PlayStation handles or Instagram accounts from total strangers. But in this case, it's not some guy in a hoodie in his basement. Or maybe it is. But even so, this this particular person comes across as really emotionally actually human. Yeah, we had another interesting case like that, too. This was like two people, uh, two criminals. They called uh, this couple in Utah, and they... Well, they hacked her because she had the Instagram account at Rainbow. So that was a that's what they wanted because they thought it was worth something. And they called her because they took they took over her phone number, but they couldn't get into her Twitter, I think. They they were able to get into her email and get into her Instagram, but they wanted their her Twitter account, which was also at Rainbow. Because the other thing is that if you have at Rainbow on both Twitter and Instagram, then it's worth more than just at Rainbow on Instagram, you know? So so they called her and essentially they were like, hey, give us your Twitter account. And she was like, no. <laughs> um, and uh, it, was an, it was an another interesting case because 
they played, I don't think they did it on purpose, but they played good cop, bad cop. So the first guy that called um, was like, uh, you know, fuck you, give us your Twitter, we're going to ruin your life, we're going to, you know, we're going to destroy you. And then when these couples started to like waste their time and they also tried to talk them out of it, it didn't really work, but they were sort of like, you know, slowing them down. Then the, the second guy came onto the phone call and was like, hey, I'm sorry about my friend. He's a little bit of a, you know, he's a little bit angry, whatever. Uh, we're just trying to be nice. We just want your Twitter. And so it's, it's just like, I, I, I remember interviewing the couple and they were like, obviously we were very stressed, but also we were like, what the hell is going on? You know, who are these people that are like, you know, they sound super young and they are just, they just sound weird. I mean, how much money are they getting out of this? Some people are probably making very little money uh, because all they go for is like this, you know, Twitter handles and Instagram handles that they then have to resell, which is you never know if you're going to get money or not. But the the real criminals, and when I say real, I mean the, the pros, so to speak, are the ones who go after Bitcoin investors and cryptocurrency investors. And those people are making millions, like literal millions. We reported on the case of a guy called uh, Joel Ortiz, who is a 19-year-old guy from Boston. And um, he was part of a gang, uh, you know, this sort of semi-jacking gang. And he's accused of stealing something like five or six million dollars throughout a few months. And the way they did it was essentially targeting people that they knew had a lot of money. It's still unclear exactly how they chose targets. That's one of the few... Uh, mysteries of these cases. But what they did was target people that were like um, publicly talking about their investments in cryptocurrency. Think about people that are on Twitter talking about, oh, I made like X amount of money um, investing in this token or this cryptocurrency or whatever. And and then they went after their phone numbers. And once they had their phone numbers, they could get into their like uh, Coinbase or Gemini or whatever cryptocurrency website you can think of and take all their money. So if I'm not somebody with one of those handles that they're after, maybe I'm not as likely to get hacked, but I'm hearing more that this hack is possible on anyone. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if you're like, you know, uh, someone who brags on Twitter about their cryptocurrency investments, you should be careful. If you're someone who has, uh, you know, one of these uh, cool handles, you should be careful, but it really could happen to anyone. And it's not just, you know, I don't want to scare anyone and you shouldn't be scared because there are ways to uh, minimize the risk of these attacks. But it could be anyone because in the last year when I was reporting on these stories, I really heard from average people. They were just regular people like me and you. And the the only reason they got targeted is because some 20-year-old thought that they had some money in their bank or some money in their cryptocurrency account. And they were easy to target because their information was online. And so they went after them. So the the takeaway here is that it could happen to you. There are ways to minimize the risks of that happening to you or you losing money. But, you know, I've gotten emails and voicemails from 50-year-old moms, 20-year-old guys. It could really be anyone because all you need to become a target is essentially be someone who maybe has some money or maybe has something that can be worth some money and as a digital presence. And, you know, that's all of us. And unfortunately, a lot of our um, personal information is out there. So once I decide to hack you for whatever reason, I can probably do it this way. 
Cyber is a production of Vice Media and Motherboard. If you're liking the show, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And please leave us a review. It helps other people find the show. This episode was produced and edited by Sophie Cases. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.